Okay, so I think it'd be a good time now to move to uh, to Lisco, Eli Lisco, uh, forty one to forty five. Uh, you 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 say that his 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 era was critical for the development of radicalism in Haiti. In, in what sense? It's coming out of the war. Um, he, he he so happened to have been president at the time in which the world was at war. And uh, after the war ended, there was, again, a sort of new uh, World War II, that is. There was a sense of a, of a new kind of radical democracy. Mm-hmm. And, and that radical democracy, when mixed with the type of political consciousness that had been growing and widening among uh, radical elites in Haiti from the 30s, created an opportunity for this coalescence of ideas, socialist ideas, communist Marxist ideas, which had previously been seen almost entirely as an elite, uh, you know, people with privilege who could think, uh, who could have the opportunity to think these ways and have that level of exposure to say French Marxism, which some Mm -hmm. of them did, um, that had now become uh, an option that young people at the university were now uh, engaged with and discussing and became aware of. So that's happening at that point in time. Uh, that's that that sort of fueling this. And I should add, though, very quickly that the Marxism that we're talking about in Haiti in this period is not the kind of Marxism that we'll see later on, even in Haiti, but in other parts of the world, come Cuban Revolution, right? That's a different sort of that's a different sort of Marxism. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, there's a lot of good work that's been done by Haitian historians who have looked very closely at the question of how Marxism, um, you know, took shape in Haiti, including, the, you know, René de Pest, the writer, who was a teenager at the time, de Pest has written about this, his own upbringing and saying that a lot of their exposure to Marxism really came through uh, the few books they're able to get through the um, the French embassy. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was somebody in the French embassy uh, who whose name escapes me at the moment, who, you know, was sort of sympathetic to these young writers uh, and intellectuals and would give them books. And in some of those books, there would be, um, some of them would be written by Marxists. So there's a way in which Marxism, when it comes to the Caribbean, and it's not unique again to Haiti, we see it in other parts of the Caribbean, if you look closer at the history of Marxism there, comes through these these various channels that are not direct streams, but then become interpreted it becomes interpreted in relation to power structures in the places where they are. Mm-hmm. And that was what was happening in Haiti under the Lesco period, right? So Lesco was becoming, starting to look like Franco and Lesco was starting to look, you know, like like, like power-hungry European rulers. Mm-hmm. And, and the alternative to that was a communal alternative that Marxism uh, had promised, the sort of Marxism they were reading at the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, there, there was a developed communist party in the Hispanic Caribbean mm-hmm. uh, that, that was that was more entrenched and had a you know a stronger sort of footing. And Cuba, of course, being extremely important in that regard. I mean, the history of the Cuban Communist Party is. is is a big one, mm-hmm. uh, but there was also a communist party in the Dominican Republic, largely underground, a socialist party rather, that didn't have a lot of prominence, mm-hmm. but but there were still networks there. 
Um, so, so the Lesko years, and I think I had mentioned in the book that he had a sort of misfortune of coming to power. So this is a man who really wanted power badly. And he comes to power when he finally gets it. He had maneuvered, negotiated, skillfully um, organized himself in terms of his career and in terms of his alliances so that he could become president. And it happened. And as it happened, uh, there is this other force that's growing in Haiti, which I generally refer to as, as radicalism. But, you know, that needs to be unpacked to look at what I mean by that. There's a Norris who are also sharpening through their experiences, um, you know, their ideas through their experiences in Haiti on the Lesco, but also through their own personal experiences. Duvalier becomes a doctor. He spent some time in Michigan studying mm -hmm. there. So they're maturing, they're being exposed, they're reading more widely. Um, and all of this is, is being rolled into the way in which they're seeing Haitian society. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and of course, it is in the Lesko years that Daniel Fignoli becomes emergent as a, a very important voice. Mm -hmm. and, and it's a sort of rapid emergence too for, for Fignoli, uh, but it's very significant. So, I mean, to me, this is a really exciting period in Haitian history. Absolutely fa fascinating because you have, you have on the one hand, people like Jacques Roumet, Max Oudicou, Max Sam, these very well-known left-of-center radical intellectuals who are, you know, they're reading about poetry and art the same time they're reading Marx and Engels, and the same time they're reading about voodoo, and the same time they're, they're trying to understand their country by going into the countryside and, and listening and looking and absorbing. Then you have Jean Pricemas, the dean of so much of that, that, that sort of interest and intellectual thought, still very active, still writing tremendously um, about a lot of these issues. Then you have Duvalier and Lorimer Denis doing their work as well, um, which some of it is, is actually very interesting work, fake work, no doubt, in the sense that it, it's layered with so much ethnographic uh, work that they're looking at and, and, and some, some of it seems so overly uh, scientific that it's difficult to fully understand, but it's still demonstrating a level of engagement with, 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 with something, a level of reading, a, a level of trying to adapt science to understanding society. And all of this, all of this is happening. And you have Daniel Fignoli uh, in, in the middle of, of this, emerging as this charismatic galvanizing leader. I mean, du, Duvalier and Denis published in 1945 their book, The Problem of Class Throughout the History of Haiti. Um, and in that book, they go through the whole of Haitian history, really trying to understand class, which is almost synonymous with color in the way they describe it, mm -hmm. uh, as an explanatory tool. And the one thing that unites all of these various groups that I trace in that book is this this commitment sense that Haiti can be something else and they have the right idea to take it in this other direction. So all mm -hmm. of that is happening. And let's not forget, of course, that there is a social elite that controls a lot of the social and economic power in the country mm -hmm. that wants the place to stay exactly as it was and they don't want it to change. Mm -hmm. So there's, there's, there's bound to be all sorts of collisions in, in that sort of scenario.
And and one of the pushbacks uh, came from the Catholic Church and the urban bourgeoisie, right? Uh, can you talk about the anti-superstition campaign? Yeah, this was a, a campaign that was launched by the church um, and was one of several, a series of, of, of different levels of success of campaigns to try and fight against voodoo, um, which was seen as retrograde and uh, anti-modern and, and all of those things. But also it was part of their own way of trying to dominate and and. and you know, assert control at a time when there was a fear of Protestant religions beginning to emerge and spread in Haiti. And so voodoo was was um, attacked then as it had been attacked many times before and, and, and after, but in a very systematic way. That's why the anti-superstition campaign um, is important because of the systematic way in which Voodoo was attacked, and and this meant um, use of members of the Haitian military to go to um, voodoo temples and to, to destroy them, to burn the drums, to uh, in some cases there are reports of beating of Ugan, um, beating of people, uh, all of that. It backfired eventually, and this happened on the Lesco, and it backfired terribly because. Uh, it, it, Lesco, I think, I mean, my view of Lesco is that Lesco tried to use the sorts of power um, strategies of politics that had got him very far in his life up to the presidency. And he tried, which is essentially satisfying one group while closing up to another. And that worked to get him, you know, his diplomatic positions, his um, his position in Washington, D.C., where he was Haitian foreign minister to the United States. And it worked with him to become president, but it couldn't work in the maelstrom of the 1940s when he was president. So by essentially giving a carte blanche to the Catholic Church, because I don't think Lesko supported what they were doing fundamentally. Mm -hmm. He felt that would be one way to to continue to get the security of support from the church, which is which was then a very important player in um, in Haitian power politics. Mm -hmm. uh, the same way he did something like that with the military, it didn't work. It, it it's a very different scale of conflict that you're setting up when you do that at the presidential level. Mm -hmm. And that's what backfired on him. And so that continued to alienate alienate people from him, as did the 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 rubber the rubber um planting thing, Shada yes. he had done with the Americans. Yes. You know, we, Yeah, please mm -hmm. talk about that. Talk about Shada. Please. Very quickly, I'll just say that what happened there was that during World War Two, uh supplies of rubber to the United States war effort had been cut off because the Axis powers, that's Germany, Japan, Italy, had blockaded uh, the routes coming from parts of Malaysia. So the United States needed to find an alternative supplier for the rubber that's used in boots, used in tanks, used in so much aspects of, of war fighting on the front line. They discovered that what they didn't really discover it was, it was known actually i think it had started all the way back with some french explorers in the early 20th century who had done some work in haiti but it was it was discussed that there was a type of rubber planting that could grow in haiti that that could grow quickly in haiti that could supply the needs of the u.s war for forces and their um, war production. And so for that reason, they signed a deal with the Haitian, they approached the Haitian government, and Lesko was all too happy to sign a deal with the United States. 
which uh, gave them the opportunity to um, to build these rubber plantations in Haiti. Now, it was sold to the Haitian people as an opportunity to develop agriculture. So rubber would be one agricultural industry of several. So that's why they call it Shada Society, uh, Haitian American Society for Agricultural Development would be the English translation. And so the plan was that the uh, rubber would be the first of a series of agricultural enterprises that would be funded jointly by the Haitian government state with support from the United States to uh, supply these markets that need these, this product. Lesco went behind this very vigorously. Now, one of the reasons I argue why Lesco did that was because Lesco wanted to continue to get the support of the United States, which was pivotal in his coming to the presidency. And Lesco also wanted to fulfill a certain desire that his predecessor Vincent had as well, which is to be the modernizing Haitian president, the president who brings modernity to Haiti finally. Mm -hmm. um, but what in reality, and, I, and Lesko knew this too, um, I, I don't, this is why I said that I don't think Lesko fully grasped the scale of what he was operating with in that period. But in reality, what Shada ends up doing is that it displaces, displaces thousands of Haitian peasants. So land that belonged to the peasants were confiscated to be turned over to rubber planting. Mm -hmm. um, it's a complicated system, and I've, you know, there are lots of documents on this, uh, some of which I've recently been looking at that, that, that shows just how complicated it was, because it also seems to me that there were members, both Haitian and American, who were part of the project, who actually believed um, in the sort of fever of the war that this could be a way of reviving the Haitian economy. So I don't mm -hmm. think it was, it's interesting that it wasn't completely uh, malevolent from the beginning, mm -hmm. but but it was selfish. It was meant in, in essence to fulfill a US market demand um, with little regard for the cost of that fulfillment on the mm -hmm. part of the Haitian Haitian peasantry, yeah. and that's what that's when it backfired. And 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 worse still was that the first I think it only lasted for about two years, um, and but the first yields of the rubber that was planted, and this was I think forty one forty two around then, um, were far less than than projected. Uh, and so, again, just like the anti-superstition campaign, like so many moves that Lesko was doing, it backfired against against him. And mm -hmm. just and while that's while it's backfiring in '44, we get into the closing stage of World War II, um, and getting into that that space that I described earlier, in which uh, young radical Haitians are becoming absolutely disenchanted with any form of rule that is self-serving and Lesko's government sir, looked extremely self-serving. Mm -hmm. uh, and all the corruptions and so on and so forth. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So now uh, he's gone. Uh, uh, Estime, right? His, yeah. His, uh, uh, his supporters, uh, they, they sort of, you know, they're the real hope for social reform. Let's say, I think late 46 or something like that. Can you talk about Estime? And his supporters? Yes, you must say, Sestime, uh, um, you know, one of the, the, the Haitian presidents of the 20th century 
that never really got his due, if you ask me. Um, and, and this is not to say that he was faultless. I would never say that at all. In mm -hmm. fact, in the book, I go through a lot of Estime's faults. Yes. But Estime was very much a man of a period in which there was this sense of destiny and direction in Haiti. And he seemed to, to feel and feel that, that as a personal mission. And so you mentioned social reform. There was a part of Estime that believed that part of his personal mission, as much as a national mission, was to reform the society. Um, and, and to do so, he invested a lot of time and energy into um, thinking through possible directions for, for aspects of Haitian life and society that had never really been rooted in terms of, you know, opportunity. I mean, take, for instance, the labor movement, right? The labor movement had always sort of functioned in a sort of loose way. Um, he, he actually began to develop a, a way through the state of organizing a labor movement um, mm -hmm. in which Haitian workers, urban workers, could be taken seriously and have space to air grievances. Those are things that, that hadn't existed um, before. Minimum wage issues, uh, looking at questions of the census, for instance. Mm -hmm. um, how, how do you create a census to actually get a proper stare on what the society looked like, how many people were there, those sorts of things. These are all aspects of social reform. Um, but again, he comes to power at a time in which the sort of, you know, the sort of atomizing groups around the radicals, that is the, the groups that are, have one view against another, and they hit each other, and then sparks fly. There's a lot of that happening in Estime's first year in, in, in power. So he creates this cabinet, which is like a coalition cabinet. He has Fignole in there. He has people from the, the Noiris group who supported him. Fignole, there are people who have already started to break away from Fignole. Duvalier is working with Fignole, then he breaks away from him. You know, you, he has members of, of the light-skinned elite there. He tries to create a, you know, a, what Abraham Lincoln once called a team of rivals, right? Mm -hmm. Or that's been said of Lincoln. Like you take these people are in opposition, and say, look, can we bury the hatchet and use all our great ideas, all our tremendous energy to make Haiti a better place and sit down at the table and be part of the same government and come up with plans and solutions for the country? He tried that. Didn't work. And I didn't, the reason why it didn't work is that Fignoli had plans for education. Somebody else had plans for tourism. Somebody else had plans for economic development, all of those things. And all of that sort of collision, that sort of, of of people hitting each other and sparking was because there were so many heavy, heavy ideas and, and feelings and um, emotions around the direction of Haiti at that time that were that were there. And it was difficult for, for that to be smoothed out. At the same time, Estime was trying to find, this is my view of Estime on a personal level now, how do you get that balance? between creating something new, right? A force for change in Haiti. But at the same time, doing so in a political culture in which power and what it looked like had been predetermined and set by your predecessors. Because remember, this is, this is a person, a man who had come up through the Haitian political system 
to achieve to, to reach where he was right mm-hmm. um and he had achieved a lot too because this is somebody who was born in Verret, and he had moved from there into uh doing well in school and becoming a member of the cabinet under vincent uh you know told the line played the game did politics really well and then got to this point um so he was a statesman but then he's a statesman who has to somehow find a way of breaking that political culture that had been part of his own creation, that, that had, had been a source of his creation as a politician, and also listening to the will of a very varied group of people who had their own ideas and their own energy and forces and aspirations for what Haiti could be. Mm-hmm. And and he's doing that within a context in which the United States continues to to tighten the screws of its control on Haiti, right? Continues to tighten that through its control of the economy, through its 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 inter, its diplomatic pressures on Haiti, all of those things. So he sees himself as a man of destiny with a mission. He sees and reads the tea leaves in terms of the cultural direction of the of the country at that time. This is the era of Jazz de Jeanne. This is the era of the labor movement. This is the era of, the, of an independent Haitian press. He sees all of that as important. It's the era of a black consciousness in Haiti where that, that sense, not, not just of color, you know, but that sense of your identity as a Haitian being so fundamentally tied to your identity with Africa and to those elements of, your, of Africa that have shaped the Haitian nation state and the whole, or, or shape the Haitian psyche and consciousness are, is being really understood and embraced very powerfully. Creole, all of these things become part and parcel of who you are. And he sees himself as that man who, who has that incredible privilege of leading the country in a new direction. But it's these, these are tremendous constraints all around him. And a big constraint too. And the determining constraint on estimate is the role of the Haitian army. He names it the Haitian army. It switches from God IT to Haitian army on the estimate. And the Haitian army has within it people who, in the top brass of the army, people who have their own ideas of, of how power should look and, and, and you know, be shaped in Haiti. And he's, he's in friction with them. So this is a... So the estimate years were very short, from August 1950 to, um, sorry, August 1946 to uh, early 1950. They're very short years. Mm -hmm. Um, And all of what I've just described was happening in those short years. He's being squeezed into a corner. And it's a difficult proposition for him to find his way out of. And in the end, that political culture factor of what had, how politics had operated in Haiti won out. And that is what he cleaves to. Let me stay in power longer. Let the concept of democracy be further delayed so that I can actually carry Haiti across the bridge to where it needs to go. And that terrifies people because once you want to stay in power longer, all or you make any moves to demonstrate that you're going to stay in power longer. All of these various groups, even those who are saying that you, they're your friends, and SMA had a lot of people in 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 his cabinet and, and in the Haitian government at the time who sympathized. Wrote, I mean, you can read in the newspapers of the period how how celebratory they were of him. But behind 
When he did that, they started to sharpen their knives and form allegiances with groups that they wouldn't have before, whether it's the Catholic Church, the army, Trujillo, whoever it was, the United States, to try and undermine him so that he could get out. And that was um, that was the ultimate undoing um, for Estimir. So when he started to move towards a reliance on a popular force to keep him in power against the will and growing strength of his opposition, who were making this uneasy alliance, as I just said, with these other vested groups. Um, that that was when it was clear that Estime, um would be overthrown. So in some senses, there's a bit of, of sadness in it because you feel that were the circumstances different, perhaps there might have been a way that some of all some of those reformist policies that he had started within the first two years, some of which, to be, to be fair, were abandoned in the last two years of his presidency, but some of them were started in the first two years, might have grown into something. Um, but I think it's a it's a it's an era that 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 deserves you know more attention and study and and teaching in trying to understand Haiti. <laughs> So uh, I know you you don't go you know too deeply into Duvalier. Uh, can you? So he comes in under what circumstances and 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 how did he use? all the machinations that occurred and the estime to, to come to power? Well, when Duvalier comes to power six, seven years after estime uh, is overthrown, um, Duvalier comes in a completely different climate than estime. 1956 is not 1946 by any stretch of the imagination, even though some of the players are the same, and even though Duvalier keeps talking about himself as the um, fulfillment of the Estime dream. In fact, uh, you know, what happened when Lesko was overthrown in January 46 was referred to as a revolution of 46, and, and Duvalier used that term a lot in his political speeches, right? That he was, he was going to um, fulfill the ideals of that revolution. But again, the context was so deeply... Um, chaotic in 1957. Uh, you know, it was a very messy period in Haitian politics. Um, the implosions that I described under the SMA period um, became explosive by the 1950s. Uh, groups that had somehow begun to enjoy some degree, you know, limited as it was, but some degree of, uh, of movement and space found that movement and space closing quite rapidly. Um, the Haitian army became even more uh, forceful in, in maintaining the, you know, the intentions and the, the commands of the state, because the state leader at the time, the president was an army man himself, General Paul Magua. So uh, having that access to the army meant a deepening of the, the army as as a threatening force, not necessarily as a as an active violent force, but as a force in which its threat was becoming um, very visible. Uh, the Haitian economy was doing poorly. Um, you know, often we think about the 1950s uh, 
as a period of prosperity, but that's just because we're projecting uh, a very blurred and and wrong, and sometimes very wrong impression of the United States economy coming out of the war, and somehow assuming that anywhere that was tied to the U.S. was economic was also doing well. That's simply not true. Um, and even in the United States itself, there are, ex there are great um, places and, and, and examples of deep poverty. But in, in Haiti, there was a lot of economic fallout in the 1950s. The hurricane had come, Hurricane Hazel had come and had damaged quite a lot uh, in Haiti. The support for, for hurricane relief um, had been uh, squandered by the state. A lot of it had been taken by corrupt political officials. So there was all sorts of, of messiness going on uh, in, the, in the late 50s. And what Duvalier did was that Duvalier, in a very strange way, began to see that as not just not as maybe negatives for Haiti, but positives for him. He started to see how he could use that as a springboard to his own grab for power. Mm -hmm. And it, 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 it is sort of strange, really, because Duvalier's own personal history didn't really indicate that trajectory in an obvious way, though it clearly mm -hmm. was there mm -hmm. um, prior to 57. Mm -hmm. And, 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 he he then comes to a point where he is willing to broker deals with people that he had previously uh, shunned or even still publicly didn't support in order to gain power. So that thirst, that quest, that desire that mm -hmm. is unquenchable for, for power mm -hmm. becomes such a dominating force of Duvalier's actions in 1957. And, and ultimately it leads to him making the sorts of alliances that would help him get into power in, sept in September 57. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. And, and it, it really is a marker. It's not just Duvalier's coming to power. It's that whole context in which he came to power is a marker for the ending of that period that I cover in the book. Because mm -hmm. it, it is a very different Haiti. And, and it's interesting you you talk about the, the, you know the surprise of uh, how he had changed because uh, Le Guillaume Duvalier I was very sympathetic to that young Duvalier and his ideas I was like wow I could this resonates with me but what he became later on is just just striking. Um, so uh, the, the the conclusion of your book which really. Uh, I, it, it was it kind of blew me away when you talked about how when you walked into uh, the you know when you entered the Hades uh, Musée uh, uh, Patéon in Port-au-Prince how there was absolutely no, nothing for the 30 years of Francois and Jean-Claude's reign like there was nothing there uh, can you talk about the absence of of of, of that that uh, of the Duvalier uh, uh, eras and 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 what that meant to you? Well, uh, you know, the absence is a result of a necessary psychological cleansing after the Duvalier period that Haiti had to go through. Deshukash, they had to go through that period of 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 erasing this source of so much oppression and violence and death and destruction and damage. I mean, it's a damage that you know. Uh, I mean, I could go on to f 
further about the ways in which the Duvalier period really damaged Haiti, and there's small ways in which we still see it today, even though we're so far away from it. Uh, but we still see the cracks because mm-hmm. of that. Um, and, 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 I mean, you know, with subs- work I've done in, in Haiti, um, particularly I did some work in Haiti after the earthquake in 2010, and there are elements that I had noticed in how certain civil areas of, of Haitian life function mm-hmm. that, that because of my close study of the pre-Duvalier years, I knew that they are not, they, 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 they don't function even as well as they did in the pre-Duvalier years. And I, it, 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 I read that and read that as an indication of this, what I mean by this damage. Um, but I won't go into that. Mm-hmm. What I will, what I will say is that the the psychological cleansing, if you will, or attempt to cleanse psychologically, because again, as I said, a lot of it lingered um, of that period of the after eighty six coming down was necessary, mm-hmm. and a consequence of it, you know, was a removal of the names and the memory and all of these things that were um, symbols that became very oppressive symbols mm-hmm. um, for Haitians. And and in that, though, is the danger of removing the knowledge of that history. Now, the memory is one thing. The knowledge is another thing. The knowledge is important because it has to be taught and told. Mm-hmm. We Caribbean people, we suffer so much in terms of our history, slavery, colonialism, natural disaster, political violence. We suffer so much foreign intervention. But we have to know what we have suffered. Mm-hmm. Even if we have to, even if we struggle with how we remember and recall it, that's mm-hmm. natural. These are trauma, traumatic things. You know, I, I taught for nearly twenty years in at university in Jamaica, and you know, often my students would say to me, "Please don't teach me any more about slavery. It's too. I don't want to hear about slavery anymore. Right? That is negative to me. That's not helping me. And I'd have to say to them." I understand where you're coming from. It's trauma, but you need to know it because if you don't know it, you know, your own understanding of how you have come to where you are now in this place, in this time is mm-hmm. incomplete. Mm-hmm. I see the same thing in Haiti with this because when, you know, I remember some years ago, even before the 2010 earthquake on a trip to Haiti, um, a group of, of students had asked me to help them study for their back, their history, um, component to their back and I was going through Haitian history with them helping them kind of get some you know some some a way of understanding the chronology of Haitian history by the time we got to the Duvalier period I was so surprised that the girls in the group were saying to me they wish that there was a Duvalier again in Haiti and I was stunned I was like why would you say that they said no but you know as long as you never say anything bad about Duvalier you'll be okay but they, they resented that they could hear stories from parents and grandparents of, of, a, of, of a childhood of Port-au-Prince when they were, you know, more bal, more dance, more, more going out and so on, that as long as you never say anything about the dictatorship, you could enjoy that. And they said instead they're growing up in a Port-au-Prince with kidnapping and gangs and those sorts of things. 
and um, you know political factionalism and and a million political parties and people fighting for the presidency, and I realized that the, there was an innocence in their statement, and it, and as as shocked and as appalled and as I was, I had to sort of silence a historian in me and open the ears of uh, of a listener to kind of find out where these these girls were at, you know, and and. So then I asked them, what have you learned at school? And they have not learned that at school. They had not learned it. And they had, and so that's how they could get to that point where not knowing it, as I said, it's a separate thing from memory, but not knowing of it mm-hmm. had been part of the damage of Duvalier still operating in the country. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and that's the thing that's important. I mean, that's why when Jean-Claude came back to Haiti, a lot of people are stunned. Why, you know, how come he's allowed to go back and live there? And I thought about that my meeting with those girls in, in the courtyard of their school one day, um, you know, who see very differently from, from you know, you and I and, and others of a different generation who have approached and come to understand it differently. Mm-hmm. So, so, you know, I, I think I think that what's changing now is that there are more spaces like Nagmawon, like um, blogs, like very very active um, young Haitians that I've had the good fortune of being in touch with who've used technology and used sorts of the internet and 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 sort of broader connections with wider groups of people to keep this this knowledge alive mm-hmm. and to and, and and it's not just the knowledge of the bad things and the bad times but the good things and and the stories of Haitians who have achieved the stories of their history that they should be proud of since 1804 not just up to 1804 but so much that Haiti has done and achieved after independence till now and Haitians have done and achieved after independence till now um, you know to, to to showcase that and to and to have all of that part of the story but that story of Eurasia that story of of you know what you can deal with and what you can't mm-hmm. um, it's a condition that that you know a lot of us in the Caribbean um, have to do battle with all the time yeah if you don't know what it looks like how are you gonna know when it comes back that's another way to put it yeah 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 really appreciate your efforts and and you know the years and years that you've put in uh you know to uh to 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 get this out uh i would love to to have access to some of the uh, uh, interview recordings <laughs> that that you've done but uh i won't push my luck <laughs> uh, the short tail end of this interview i asked the professor about uh, his second book, which I definitely hope to have him on uh, to talk about it with us and where in the story he picks up. It actually goes back in time. That book is called Liberty, Fraternity, Exile. Yes. So it, go, it goes back into the 19th century. Um, you know, I, I like, you know, I used to tease and say that I studied the grandparents of the people I wrote about in, in my first book. <laughs> but, but yeah, it, it goes back to that period. Um, and, and in some senses, I'm tracing the roots of some of these questions, but I'm also looking at that period on its own terms and trying to to, to place Haiti as I always attempt to do in my work. And um, 
you know, I hope I'm successful mm-hmm. as part of the Caribbean, as part of a Caribbean story. Um, mm-hmm. And, and mm-hmm. that's really important to me because I think all of us in the Caribbean, we owe such a humongous debt to Haiti. There's no question about it, that our own sense of who we are, um, whether we resist or, or bristle and, and cuss and moan about it, but a lot of it really is, is, is rooted in the story of Haiti. And, and I wanted to trace how far that was and, and how people before us um, dealt with that history and that connection. That's what that second book is all about. Okay. Cool. Uh, you got any final thoughts to me? Because I don't know if you can top everything you've said, all these gems you dropped today. <laughs> yeah. Well, I I just want to say, you know, thanks for all the work you're doing and, 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 and also to the listeners who tune in. And I mean, the fact that they're tuning in to listen to you and to follow the, the stories and the, the connections, the discussions with, you know, the people who, you know, it's quite an interesting range of people from academics to practitioners to everybody. It shows that they want to know more about, about Haiti, their country and, and the place it has had and, and, and that great value that it's, that, that is, is past holds as unlocking our future. And I think that's really true and important that no matter how dismal and hard, and it is very dismal and very hard, I'm well aware that, that it seems in the present. There is such a power that you gain from understanding the journey to that, to that present, from mm-hmm. looking at the past. And, and, you know, just this is a, a, you know, a, a chapeau to all the listeners out there who um, tune in to hear, hear Patrick speaking to me and to everybody else he talks to, you know, keep doing that, keep reading on your own and, you know, can be for one love. All right. Merci, merci, brother. Merci, Ampil. Pas de problème, mon frère. Okay. Next time. Napali. Napali. Okay. Bye-bye. I hope you enjoyed this episode as much as I did. Please follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Negmawa Podcast. That's Mawa with a W, not an R.